Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 125 of the podcast, everybody. Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Um, Andrew, okay, we've got a lot to run through on this episode, but really, yeah, it's going to be a podcast, busy one, isn't it? It's a very busy one, but the the sort of bulk of it is going to be our fantasy Formula One calendar. Um, really, it's the circuits that, in our, you know, if we were in charge of coming up with the the Formula One calendar for next season, these are the tracks that we would go to. Um, and this yeah, is all and, quite... and, sorry, I was going to say, and, and there is a certain, or certainly a my list element of fantasy about it because some of my some of the circuits on my list are circuits which Formula One will quite clearly never ever visit again, largely yeah. because they're lethal. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's right. That, that's fair enough. I mean, because it's fantasy world, we get to go to uh, some of these circuits that would take just masses of investment if it's at all possible to bring them up to scratch but because it's a fantasy we get to do it anyway um, yeah. so and we're the reason we're doing it now is obviously well in fact um by the time you hear this the belgian grand prix will have been and gone mm. um but uh, as we were recording this on friday morning you know coming up is what's possibly going to be the last um formula one race at spa um in who knows how long um and because that's kind of like everyone's favourite circuit of the current F1 tracks. We just thought we'd take that opportunity to uh, broaden it out and just sort of play God and think, well, if it's our choice, where would we go? Um, yeah. And actually, uh, certainly on my list, there are some places that they already go. So that's good. Mm. Yeah, good. Okay, we've got plenty to get through before we do that. So let's start by just talking um, a little bit more about the twin test that we published over the last few days on the Intercooler app and website. Um it was a bit of, yeah, first time we'd done something like this, really. Um, we had a Porsche 911 GT3 and the Porsche 718 Cayman GT4 RS together um, on great roads in South Wales with a brilliant photographer. The photography, honestly, from that shoot is superb. Your writing, Andrew, is equally superb. It's a brilliant piece. 
Um, and actually, it's been received really well, hasn't it? People who lots of lots of people have read it, lots of people have commented and engaged. So, yeah, I think it seems to be going down very well. That piece. We'll do more. Yeah, it was a fun thing to do, wasn't it? I mean, the, the whole sort of the the reason for the story was, you know, certainly I've been for twenty more years or more been writing stories, you know, twin test group tests involving GT threes. Um, and the one common thread that has led through every single one of them is that whatever's up against the GT3 loses. Um, and this has been the first time that there's actually been a kind of an enemy within. Um, and the first chance that we've ever had to put a Porsche up against a Porsche. Um, and to give the GT3 some a real homegrown challenge um, in the form of the GT4 RS. So that was the idea behind it. As you say, we went off, we had an amazing day shooting it, driving the cars, having some fun. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're really, really gratified by the way it's been received. It's, um, it's done fantastically well for us. So, um, if you haven't seen it, um, go and have a look on the app on the website. It's all there. Tell us what you think. Yeah. There's a link in the description or the dash into caller.com. You'll find it. Um, yeah, we will do more. And actually, um, I'm not going to give away your verdict here, Andrew. It's a very close run thing, but over the weekend coming, I'm going to offer my perspective, my opinion on those two cars on the, on that twin test, um, with a few more of the photos from the shoot that you won't have seen before. Um, this is, yeah, a sad week for me. Moving on. Oh, God. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you wearing a black armband or something? Oh, I should be. I should be. Uh, yeah, so I sold my Alpine this week. Um, I wrote earlier this month that it had to go. Got a baby coming. Um, and the car had to go. So I've... You know, I considered every option for trying to keep hold of it. I couldn't make anything stick. So it had to go and it did go this week to a proper enthusiast down in Cornwall. Um, So enjoy it, Chris. Look after it. Um, Yeah, I was sad to see it go. But also, you know, I'd had it three years. I'd done a lot of fun things with it. Enjoyed driving it. Shared it with a few mates. Um, Loved having it. It's just time for something else now. Um, can, I, can, can I just ask, how old do you think your forthcoming son or daughter needs to be before you turn around to them and say, <laughs> listen, chum, I want you to know the sacrifice <laughs> I made on your behalf? What are you talking about? Well, I'm told the baby can actually hear me in the womb by now. And if that is the case, <laughs> they'll be well aware. <laughs> Greater love yes. have no man that he should give up his Alpine for his offspring. <laughs> there you go. It's commitment, dear, isn't dear, it? Dear. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I'm undecided. I'm carless now, but I'm undecided how to replace right. the Alpine. You need to sort it out because it's very important, the first journey your child ever makes. It's kind of formative. Yeah. Mm. You're quite right. So I've got a few months to figure that out. But do you know what? The fun that I've been having is getting on Auto Trader in particular because it's so easy to use and just going... You don't have to put a, mar- a mark or model in. You can just go saloon, coupe, hatchback, more than 300 horsepower, manual gearbox. You can go petrol engine um, and then set a, set a budget, say £25,000. And then you, you get... Put, go on. Can you put, can you, can you put must-have-a-mechanical-locker in it? <laughs> you, you can't quite do that level of grainy granular detail sadly you have to sort through manually then but honestly if you those parameters that i just gave you i think on auto trader you, you're offered about 500 cars um if you then open it up to automatic gearboxes as well you get something like four thousand cars um 
So actually, it's really good fun scrolling. Th- this is exactly what I was doing in bed last night when I couldn't sleep, just scrolling through hundreds, thousands of cars and just sort of dreaming what it might be. But my logic now, I think, is that I've just come out of one of the great modern driver's cars. Potentially, it would be foolish to try and replace it with another driver's car that's just a bit more practical. Um, Something like a BMW M2, because that would be more practical, but it's just not going to be as good to drive as far as I'm concerned. So maybe I go for something a bit left field, a bit different, something that might actually be very comfortable over longer journeys, something unusual. You know, I've been scrolling through a few Jaguar XJRs. Well, funnily enough, my elder daughter, her first ever journey Mm. was in a XJR, an X308. For, you remember the V8 supercharged yeah. XJR from the late 1990s, which is when she was born. That was the first. Yeah. She, that's what she came home from hospital in. Mm. So I don't yeah. know if this is just a phase, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of wondering about something a bit unusual, something that would just be fun to have for a bit. Um, maybe a Panamera, maybe a bit more conventional, but a V8 M3. I don't know, but it's currently, it's currently very good fun, just sort of weighing up all these different options. Um, but I will, yeah, I've got lots more work to do, and I will hopefully have a bit more of a concrete answer for you soon. Um, all right, let's leave that there. And the other big news story of this week is that Audi has confirmed it is entering Formula One from 2026. Um, it's going to be building its own powertrain it will also be partnering with an existing team and so essentially we, that might be an acquisition by the way they haven't really said yet um but, but they, is, it it be, be, is it going to be an audi is, is the team going to be called audi it's not going to be like i don't know um a, a team running an audi engine it's not just an audi engine as far as we can tell it will be an audi team a bit more like um mercedes rather than okay but not Say, like Aston Martin, Alpha which is Romero. obviously, yeah. but not like Aston Martin, which is a sort of licensing uh, sponsorship yeah. type, headline sponsor type arrangement. It doesn't Proper seem. To, it, see, it seems to be more like the Mercedes approach. That is the impression I yeah. get. They haven't confirmed which team they're going to be partnering with. Um, it will be Sauber. We, we're confident it's Sauber, but they have apparently spoken to several teams. But it does appear that it's going to be Sauber. Um, so. I mean, that's quite good, isn't it? Audi on the Formula One grid from 2026. But it does come at the cost, at the expense of Audi's Le Mans programme. Yeah, I've got over that. Um, <laughs> did, was any, did anybody talk about, or has there been any talk about uh, about Porsche? Because obviously... Yeah, well, know, not this morning when... There, there's lots of talk about Porsche going into Formula One. Yeah. Now, it may well be because we think, well, Audi and Porsche are both under the same roof, both going into Formula One. How does that make sense? But obviously, by 2026, Porsche won't be under that roof anymore. If, if, if all the uh, stories are remotely true, there will have been a, an IPO and Porsche will be a largely publicly owned company by then. So watch this space. It could be quite interesting, couldn't it? My only concern with all these things is that, you know, if you have Mercedes stay in and you have Audi and you have Porsche, you know, they will want to be at the sharp end. They will they will become, no doubt at all, the major figures in Formula One. But, and I suppose Red Bull's the same. These aren't essentially racing teams. 
these are companies that do other stuff which go racing for marketing reasons you know unlike you know Williams and McLaren um, which were started to race that was that that is and certainly Williams's case that is that remains its sole existence reason for its existence and if you know we've seen this so many times haven't we in, in actually in all formulas and all areas of the sport the problem is when you get big manufacturer money coming in like that firstly they want to have an undue influence on the rules which is which is one thing but secondly you know they can go as quickly as they come and once their their marketing aims have been realized um you know quite often that's it and they're off um and so you have instability and fluctuation and people who are not in it for the love of the sport, but in it because they want to sell everything from roadcast to fizzy drinks. Yeah, um, in the press conference this morning, Stefano Domenicali was quizzed on this. He is, is he CEO of Formula One? He was quizzed on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, throughout the history of Formula One, car manufacturers have come, they've gone, and it's just a constant cycle. Um, and he was asked, why is it different this time? How are you going to hold on to all of these? And I think the key point that he made is that they are trying very hard to make Formula One more competitive, um, you know, increase the depth of competition. So it's not just one or two teams dominating. Um, and with a cost cap, um, with limited um, dyno hours, limited wind tunnel hours, I think the idea is that <clears throat> more teams will be able to win more regularly, um, which potentially keeps car manufacturers interested for longer. Um, also, just it makes it better for us, doesn't it, as as fans? Yeah. If if that's what's happened, I don't want to sound terribly cynical, but you know we know what happens when you give a Formula One team a set of rules, and that rules can be uh, about you know the engineering of the car or the way their budgets are constructed. There's still a set of rules, and for and there there are no organisations on earth better than Formula One teams at getting around rules. Um, and I am sure it will remain the case as it has been since the dawn of time the team with the most money will be most likely to win i know it doesn't always happen i'll never forget that toyota did all those years in formula one uh, and never won a race but usually speaking that's what happened and i think that ultimately the teams that run at the front will continue to run at the front um but maybe not yeah well we'll see how do you say they're coming in now because of the new 2026 regulations which a big part of that is sustainability and there's more power coming from the electric component of the powertrain um, and then synthet- synthetic fuels will be used exclusively, carbon neutral synthetic fuels. F1 says it will be fully carbon neutral by 2030. Does that sure how they're going to do that. Well, I mean, fully carbon neutral in terms of the emissions of the cars going around the track. Is that, is that what they mean? I mean, how are they going to offset... Hmm the emissions of the circus flight. I mean, forget the emissions of the track. They're meaningless. They are I think, completely I think, and utterly I meaningless. Think that, I think the, the emissions that come out of the back of the cars is, it was something like 3 or 4% of the total carbon footprint of the Formula 1 circus. I'm amazed it's that much. I would have thought yeah. it would be 0.1 of a percent. Mm. But, but so when they're talking about sustainability and being carbon neutral, do they include transportation? They need to be clear about this, don't they? They really Absolutely. need to be clear. And Otherwise, also, is it's it, cobblers. And is it just I mean, carbon offsetting? Damon Hill once said, the only way to make Formula One environmentally friendly is to stop Formula One. Hmm. <laughs> I think it was Damon yeah, who said but, that. Damon, if it wasn't, I apologise. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, the commitments F1 has made so far are clearly enough to seduce Audi. Um, but there we yeah. go. Um, okay, so another piece that you've written recently, and you alluded to it earlier, is it's on the app now, it's on the website now. 
Is this the last Belgian Grand Prix? Because as it stands, as we record this on the Friday morning, Belgium, Spa does not have a contract with F1 for 2023. Which is ridiculous. Hopefully by the time you hear this, there will have been some wizzo announcement over the weekend and they've got a 10-year contract nailed in granite and, you know, mm. we can all relax. <laughs> so let's make, let's make this yeah. bit brief, Dan, just in case that's happened. <laughs> okay, yeah, good point. But, well, what we can say is why is it important that Spa stays on the calendar? It's just the best circuit, isn't it? It's the best ever. It's, well, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't think it actually, to most people, it matters that it's the older circuit on the calendar um that it's i think it's is it still probably isn't quite the quickest circuit on the calendar but it always used to be it's the most beautiful circuit on the calendar um it's more than anything else ask the drivers ask the fans ask the people who actually matter what their favorite where they would like to see racing or where they would like to race more than anyone else and i would bet you anything that the vast majority of those people would name spa head and shoulders above any other circuit out there yeah, QED, and we get good, we get good races there. There's overtaking, there's weather amazing is racing there. A component, apart from 2021, we mention that. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's what I love about Spa. <clears throat> there's a beauty to it, but also a sort of intrepidness about it. So most circuits <clears throat> are built on plots of land. It might be an old airfield. It might be some wasteland in the desert <clears throat> that's been co-opted to build a racetrack on. But they're on a plot of land. Spa is more like older circuits, the most obvious one being the Nürburgring, in that they venture off into the hills, into the woods, and they go around on this big long lap, and eventually they come back round again. And it's, there's something beautiful about that, the way they spear off into the countryside. Um, and it's, it's the, now it's the only F1 track that does that. And you know, don't you find it amazing that... I mean, they first raced at Spa 101 years ago, 1921. <laughs> Okay, and today with all that knowledge and all that money and all that computer power, you can go and design a brand new circuit, and it doesn't provide half the spectacle. Just as a racing, just place to race in terms of really basic stuff like overtaking opportunity. This place, which was just cobbled together from local roads over a hundred years ago, is still way better than something designed yesterday using all the advantages of, you know, 21st century technology and finance. I just find it amazing. And the current circuit is quite different to that original Spa Street Road circuit, isn't it? Yeah, well, some of it, I mean, some of it is is, is almost exactly the same. You know, the run from Blanchiment, uh, well, they're from basically, well, from the, the exit of the new Stavelo corner all the way up through Blanchiment and down through La Source and Eau Rouge and up the Camel, that's all the same. Um, and then, you know, the topography is the topography, so they've still got to find their way back down the hill and back to the start. So, I mean, and they did do a fantastic job when they changed it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, so it's still... There is still an awful lot of the old circuit in there, uh, and that character is still there. That's the thing, and that's what they did so well when they made the new circuit. And I, I just find it amazing that they still can't design something that's you know as good as that. <clears throat> it's extraordinary, really. Um, and it, yeah, the circuit's future in F1 is um, uncertain at the moment because F1 does appear to be pursuing new venues in countries that are prepared to pay enormous fees, um, often countries that don't have any 
racing heritage at all. Um, and it would be a pity if Formula One was so blinded by those dollar bills that it forgot it that it's supposed to have. Yeah. But it has to remember that it's really about the fans and it's really, and the heritage is important and great circuits are absolutely critical. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, okay, so we are 22 races this year, 24 races next year. So, but you've at, at the moment, um, you've got, where well, you've got, you've got Las Vegas, uh, you've got coming back because there's been a Las Vegas Grand Prix before. You've obviously got China coming back. Um, South Africa, Kailami, which I just think is fantastic, um, apparently wants to come back. And then a new one in Doha, which I'm probably quite a lot less excited about. Um, but nevertheless, that's four new races and two new slots for them. Um, so something's got to give. In fact, two things have got to give. And at the moment, it's Paul Ricard and Spa. They're not going to expand the calendar past beyond 24 races. I think Domenicali's been quite clear about that. Um, so... Yeah, the, it, you know, I mean, I suspect what will happen is that one of the new, one of the in inverted commas new races, uh, despite three of them coming back um, and therefore not technically new, I suspect one or more of them will fall over. I mean, COVID's going to, you know, still treat in a completely different way in China to elsewhere, and the Chinese authorities are going to need a fairly major change of heart. Um, I saw Kailami when they rebuilt it in 2016. It's an amazing place, but it wasn't a Formula One track there then uh, and nor did they ever intend it to be it's uh, whatever they call it, it's a grade two fia track not a grade one so who knows what changes need to be made there who knows whether they'll be able to do them in time so i think it's possible that something will fall over at which stage you have to hope don't you that's that of spa and ricard that spa is the one that gets retained but you know maybe that'll only be a stay of execution because that'll just you know push the problem to the end of next year um although as i pointed out in the story i think baku's contract expires at the end of next year um and well you know if the choice came down to you know nothing against baku azerbaijan or or or, or the track there but the choice came down to spa or baku well you know to me that's not much of a choice no it's not okay so our dream f1 calendar i think we can assume that spa is going to be on firmly on there um but i just want to we can get quite granular with this clearly at the moment we go to spa at the end of August, when would you choose to go? <clears throat> when would I choose to go to Spa? Um, well, I mean, I would say I, what I'd like to say is go at a time of year when you're guaranteed to get a bit of weather. But Spa being Spa, as we saw last <laughs> year, you know, you're going to get a bit of weather whenever. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't have a problem with it in the current. In, in the current, I, I quite like the fact that it kind of kicks off the second half of the season. It, it, it's, mm. you know, they, they, they have the big summer break and you know that there's a, an enormous motor race just waiting for you the other side of it. I'm actually very happy with its position in the calendar as it is. Uh, okay, yeah, I agree with you, actually. I'm being a little bit mischievous because I do... Would it be fun or just downright dangerous to go to certain facilities out of season? So should we go to somewhere northern Europe in October, you know? I don't want to put any. I don't want there to be any real danger, but it would be good if there was a challenge because of the conditions. Maybe it's cold. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know. I think that's a really, really good idea. Um, you know, I think you need to shake it up as much as possible. Um, mm. And I think, you know, giving the Formula One teams the challenge 
of running your, I mean it may be completely naive because Pirelli might just turn around and go I'm really sorry but if the track temperature is yeah. 8 degrees you know yeah. the cars aren't even going to turn into the first corner well then make some tyres I don't know I don't know It's. Mm. but yes I love anything that shakes it up anything that disrupts the status quo that's why I sort of think and this is a bit off topic but you know I know some people the purists will think this is absolute heresy but I wouldn't mind chucking the occasional reverse grid in there and seeing what happens Yeah. and putting Max and Charles at the back and just say three times completely randomly and flip, flip of the coin during the course of this season, you're going to start from the back, guys. And not telling them which race it's going to be. And just, you know, just getting a computer so, so, so that there's no sort of, you know, funny business or jiggery program. You make it genuinely random um, and just shake it up. Anything that shakes up yeah. the sport, anything which yeah. makes enter- overtaking more likely, anything that makes the spectacle more entertaining, um, I'm in favour of in principle, so long as it doesn't become a pantomime uh, and i know that these things yeah. can i know that you know people have talked about you know balance of performance and you know other things that you could do um which would certainly make the racing closer but then what are you actually racing so i don't think any rights are wrong to it but i just like the idea of exactly as you suggest you know with going to a racing in cold weather just doing something which just completely shakes it up and brings another level of intrigue and another dimension to the mm. you know to the viewing yeah. of the race yeah, it's texture, isn't it? Texture to the calendar. And actually, with that in mind, <clears throat> one of the frustrations with the World Endurance Championship is that apart from Le Mans, um, and this might not be the case anymore, I don't know, but it certainly was early on, it just travelled around the world with a cookie-cutter approach. It was six-hour races, wherever mm-hmm. it went, starting yeah. at the same time of no, day. still does. Six-hour races. still does. And that's annoying. Why not go to Japan and race for 12 through the night? Why not go to... Sebring, and rather than hours, it's 1,000 kilometres. Why not go to different parts of the world and have races with different character, different lengths, you know, defined by hours or distance, through the night, start in the morning, whatever. Just why not make it it different? Shake it up. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so I'm all in favour of our Fantasy F1 calendar having that kind of texture. Um, so, okay, we've agreed then that Spa stays where it is, the first yes. race back after the summer break. Um, yeah. But how, how are we going to kick off the season? Well, so where are we going to go to first? <laughs> it's tricky, this, isn't it, actually? Well, I think it's yeah. got to be somewhere classic. I think it's mm-hmm. got to be somewhere where um, cars have raced before. Um, where would it be? Interlagos? Yeah, I love works. Interlagos. Works for me. It's a fantastic circuit. Um, you get great overtaking, great races. Um, all sorts of weather happens down there, um, mm. and it's a proper old school classic circuit. Um, which you know, I, I, I'm really glad that it's still on the calendar, um, and you know, long may it stay there. It's for me. It's right up there with Spa as one of my favourite of the circuits that's still in use and the fact that it's i don't know when they first started using interlogos but i suspect it's probably about 50 years ago um so you know it's, it's proper old school hmm. and i think that character of the track has been returned and that pit straight is just completely i mean it's the nuttiest pit, pit straight you know it's not even straight is it uh and then it's you sort of go level. over the top and then down into it's just fantastic love the place yeah. yeah i wonder what the weather's like in sao paulo in around march 
could be interesting. Um, we're not going to try and do these in order any longer. I think we'll tie ourselves in knots trying to figure oh, out where we should go. <laughs> um, before we do the next one, what's the optimum number of Grand Prix in a season? Purely from a spectator's point of view. That's what we're discussing, really, isn't it? Purely from a fan's point of view. Okay, well, I guess, can I answer your question with a question? Mm-hmm. What's the argument against more? I mean, what true fan of Formula One would actually think at the start of the season, I wish there were fewer races than there are going to mm. be? Mm. Um, well, okay. I, and, and I'm not going to get political about this um, because I just don't think it's what people want to hear uh, and it's boring. But, you know, for myself... Um, I would far rather that they didn't go to um, places with, you know, terrible human rights record and where, you know, women don't get treated the same as everybody else and so on and so forth. So purely from that, so that, but that's not a racing perspective. So if those places disappeared from the calendar, that wouldn't trouble me at all. I think, you know, particularly um, if that made space for other places, um, which don't have such problems. But, you know, I, I, from my point of view, generally speaking, uh, as long as they're doing it for the right reasons in the right places, the more the merrier. I suppose there's an argument that the more Grand Prix you have, the less special each one becomes. Um, you, it's not you been also, my experience. Really? You also don't want to exhaust the teams, particularly you know the, the mechanics and all those who are not in the limelight. Um, but we're, pu- no, we're purely but, 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 talking but from the... That's not a fan's perspective, is it? No, exactly. Um, We're purely talking from the fan's perspective. And so I tend to agree with you. Um, More the merrier, but, you know, I I reckon 22 probably is about right for me. Yeah. But all I would say is, and I guess I'm uh, the danger of repeating myself, I would trade quantity for quality every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so you got, got rid of the dodgy tracks, you got rid of the boring tracks. You know, I still, well, I mean, the Hungara ring, I mean, I know it's been around forever, but. Mm. You know, it hasn't got, well, whatever charm Monaco may or may not have, it certainly hasn't got any of that. And it just produces, not always, but in the main, it produces dull races. And, you know... With that in mind, with that in mm. mind, I present to you Barcelona. Yes. Yeah. I'd get rid. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's just, it, you, know, it's a, you know, it's a good track for a Formula One car... Mm. because it's got everything on it but it's not a good track for a formula one fan in my view okay so can i ask you a question yeah okay would you return racing to the old nurburgring would you return formula one it's such a good question and it's such a clear answer for me i wouldn't purely because you would have to change it too much just to make it safe it's too drastic a change um you know, I know I said this was fantasy world and we can do this, but you would have to change it too much and it would just spoil it for the rest of us, for everybody else who enjoys going there and driving around it. Yeah. Yeah. It will be less spectacular than it is, less of a challenge. They'd have to level it out, widen it, put huge runoffs everywhere. I think it would spoil it for everyone else. It's a very good point. And can you imagine, actually, if once they'd done all of that, once they got, got, done, got rid of the jumps, they widened it out, they level it, actually so much of the character and the flavour of that circuit is the fact that it's not a very quick circuit um, mm. and that the sort of stuff that does go around that from you know historic cars to GT3 cars um, you know they're fast cars but they're not enormously fast and so the challenges remain the challenges if 
you know, so much of it, if the Turkey had to be so changed so much that when you put a Formula, a modern Formula One car on it, most of it was flat, mm. then you know, what have you done? So I would mm. actually, I would actually agree with you. Um, I wouldn't bring it back there, um, although. There's a bit of me which would just love to see, <laughs> even if it was only once, a modern Formula One car run, run around the circuit. I mean, because it must, it can't be beyond the wit of man to set up a modern Formula One car to run around the circuit as it is now. You need to have a bit of ground clearance, wouldn't you? You need mm. to do some clever stuff with the suspension. Yeah, but, well, BMW did it in 05, 06, was it, with Nick Heidfeld? I spoke to well, Heidfeld yeah, about it, and he said it was that, still the best thing he's ever done in a racing car. But he wasn't going fast, fast, was he? Oh, he said he was. <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah. He thought he was. I, but, but, the, but what they but, didn't do was release any lap time data. No, oh, okay. That would have mm. been interesting. I'd yeah. love to know. I'd love to know. Someone knows somewhere. Um, so, okay, no, no Nordschleife. That's fair enough. I did wonder. I was thinking about this. I don't think it works because even... Could you have qualifying on the Nordschleife and then a race on the Grand Prix loop? But no. if, if any car's going to run around the Nordschleife, it's going to have to be the track is going to have to be totally changed, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so there we go. The the Nurburgring is out. What about the Nurburgring GP tra- track? No, does that stay it. dull? It's not. It's not exciting enough, is it? No, it's just dull. It's just another circuit. I mean, it's actually. I don't think it's quite as dull as people have always said yeah. it's going to be, and it has always, you know, suffered hugely by sitting almost literally in the shadow of its big brother. Mm. But, um, no, I mean, I've, I've raced on it, and it's, it's fine. Mm. But it's not, it's not a, surf, it's a circuit of any distinction at all. So, no, absolutely mm. not. Um, can we just talk a bit about the circuits that are still used today? So, mm. let, let, let me just fire a few at you. Which, yeah, and I, I sort of surprised myself when I was doing this list to how many actually really good circuits there are still in use in Formula One today. I mean, well, first and foremost, Silverstone. Yeah. yeah Cracking circuit. For, and actually, um, it's almost like the opposite of the Nürburgring because for Silverstone to work, you need a really fast car, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, Formula One cars at Silverstone just look unbelievable. I mean, I race... Um, historic stuff there and if you go and stand on the spectator spectator bank at cops when people are bimbling through in vintage bentleys they look like they've stopped honestly they look like they're parked. <laughs> it is so boring uh it is such a tedious spectacle um silverstone needs speed doesn't it um mm. and formula one cars when they're going through the maggots beckett's complex they're just changing direction you know pulling full 4g one way 5g the other I think that is one of the great sites in Formula One. And also the other thing about Silverstone is lots of overtaking. It's a great yeah. circuit for, it's not a great spectator circuit, I don't think, um, unless you're watching on the telly because, you know, because it's so flat, if you're in a stand, you, there's not much that you, beyond that, the corner that you're on that you can see. Um, but no, just as a spectacle, I think it's fabulous. Yeah, it stays for me. Um, so what are some of the others? That Monza? I reckon that has to stay. Uh, I've always been a bit apathetic about Monza, and I know it's absolute heresy. And I'm Mm. not one of these guys who say bring back the banking or any of that. I've just, you know, because it is, it's long straights with chicanes. Um, You know, the Curva Grande, which used to be the most amazing corner, is just has been easy flat in a Formula One car for forty years. 
the Lesmos are quite interesting. The Scar- the Ascari chicane, because it's so fast, is quite interesting. But to me, I love... Well, I mean, it's such a tragic history, but I love the fact that it's such a historic circuit. Um, but I, I just don't look forward to an Italian Grand Prix the way I look forward to well, a Belgian Grand Prix or a British Grand Prix in terms of what I'm going to see on the track, because it's... You know, it's going to be largely, you know, slipstreaming in DRS and then breaking into chicanes and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like it, but it's not it's not one of these circuits for me, I'm afraid. You, um, you clearly feel differently. Well, I like it because they're going so fast down that back straight into the Parabolica. Um, yeah. They might be doing 230, maybe even a bit faster, which I just think is phenomenal. Um, okay, yeah. but I know of another circuit that's on there that has to stay on there. Suzuka? Yeah, Suzuka has to be on there. Suzuka. I mean, it's, it's, that's one of those things I want to do because I've never been. I've never. No, I've never even been there, let alone driven around it. Um, I would love to drive Suzuka. When I was, gosh, when, you ever come across a game called Grand Prix Legends? It was one of these mm. early com- I think I've computer heard of it. games. Yeah. Um, and where I used to live, I had you know before I had children, I used to have a you know steering wheel and pedals, and it must must have all been pretty clunky by modern standards. But I used to get to go and drive relentlessly around Suzuka. Um, fantastic circuit um, and one which really really separates the the mice from the men doesn't it um, you know, to watch uh, to watch you know, Senna at Suzuka and to watch his utter ridiculous commitment and his just his faith his trust that you know the, the, the thing he's hurling about will somehow stick to the track um, it's it's just one of the great circuits. M- wonderful combinations of corners, and yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, agreed. We need to make sure with our fantasy F one calendar that we're ticking off the continents. So, for me, we have to go to North America. Um, would you leave Kota oh, where it is? Well, or? we can Kota absolutely. Yeah, having been to Kota and driven <laughs> Kota, the Circuit of the Americas is one of the great circuits. It's one of the, the great tracks. It's fantastic. Um, but and but is, been is there about another? Tracks. In North America? Yeah. I, I know which one do you're they, do, do they have to have... Re- I mean, North America is more blessed with amazing racetracks than anywhere else on Earth. Hmm. You know, Watkins Glen, Road Atlanta, well, Cota, but the daddy of them all, Road America. They've never yeah. raced Formula One there. But they raced Indy cars there, they raced Can-Am there. Uh, it used to be called Elkhart Lake because that's where it is. It's in um, it's in Wisconsin. I've never been there. I know lots of people who've raced there. They all just say the same thing. They all just say you can't die without having having gone there. And you go and watch on board there. There's a, there's some on board of Nigel Mansell. I think he went with it been ninety three something like that. Going around there in an Indy car. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's it's like Spa on steroids. It's so fast. There's so much gradient. It's so quick. It's just, you just look at it and you just think, you know, balls the size of Bournemouth. I mean, just <laughs> wonderful. Fantastic. Okay, um, so that's on then. Yeah, that's definitely on there. Um, having been rude about modern circuits, there are a couple um, of, well, one's renewed and the other is new on the current formula one circuit that i think uh, are amazing tracks and one of them and again you know this is where i have to put all political thought to one side yeah um jeddah forget everything else it's an amazing track it's absolutely in fact mm. this morning i went and watched uh lewis's pole lap from last year it's i mean 
it's an absolutely bonkers track. It's so bonkers that I think <laughs> that if they were thinking about designing it 100 years ago, they'd probably gone, actually, that might be a bit too bonkers. And yet they've done it today. And it's such a rarity. Um, you know, as we know, because the, the walls are so, and they are literally walls, are so close. If anything goes wrong, uh, you tend to get pile-ups and it takes a huge amount of time to clear up and everything else. But um, just go to see, after this, if you're listening to this, just go and watch Lewis's onboard from his qualifying lap at Jeddah last year. It's, it's absurd. Yeah, it's it absolutely is. absurd. It's, it's a of- bonkers bonk. The other one, um, which I have rather less problems with, um, which I, I'm so happy is back on the calendar and appears to me to be as good as ever as Zandvoort. Yeah. Um, wow. It's cool, isn't yeah. it? It's such a cool it's track. It's so cool. Mm. And it's so fast and it's so, it flows. It really, really flows. It sort of sweeps right, sweeps left at, you know, bonkers speeds. And to watch it, it's one of those circuits where actually, if you, again, you can go, I think Max was on pole there last year. Go and get in the car with him and just look at what he's doing because it all looks quite careful and economic. But in fact, if you look at the commitment and the speed and the precision of what he's doing, it's one of those places where you really, really see the skill of the modern Formula One driver. Um, Because, I mean, there are combinations of corners where if you made a little mistake in the beginning of the first one, you'd end up in the wall by the end of the second one because it just sort of builds and builds and builds. And just to watch someone really string together an amazing lap around Zandvoort and it's got banking on it and all mm. these other things it's what you're talking about shaking it up it's just a, it's a bit different it's got a, it's got everything it's a great track it's a bit different it's got this fantastic history attached to it um love it talking of you were mentioned continents yeah yeah got a race in every continent well i go back to kailami in a in a heartbeat but that's yeah. another conversation would you go back to australia I, well, you have to. I do think we have to. Um, Why? For the Australian people. I don't people. rate it. For the I don't Australian, rate what about, it. <laughs> what about Adelaide? More. Better. Bathurst. Um, oh, Bathurst. Yeah, well, absolutely. Formula <laughs> <laughs> One cars around Mount Panorama. That would be something. Um, do you know what? Bathurst is um, it's the best place I've ever watched a race. Mm. Go up on the mountain at Bathurst, and when you're looking down into the cockpits of the cars, um, I can't imagine what. Well, I mean, because that bit of it is why you could never race Formula One cars. Um, the mountain section is so narrow. GT3 cars look like fighter aircraft going around there because it's all mm. so close. The sensation of speed is so great. Um, I can't even imagine what a Formula One car would look like going around there. Um, so yes, of course I get back to Bathurst, but it's not really practical. So, um, so I know that. Everybody in Formula One loves going to Melbourne. Melbourne's a wonderful city. Um, but I just, it's a bit of a strange track because, I mean, I, and I yeah. always, the other thing I used to hate about Melbourne, it was always started the season. Uh, and I think in 2024, because Ramadan's moving, it might start the season again. Um, and so you go through the whole winter thinking, who's fastest, who's fastest, who's fastest? Uh, and no one would know until they would me and we'll tell him. And actually, it's such a strange sort of circuit that it's not really much of a indication of form. And mm. you can get, you just get strange, you can get strange results there. And you can think, oh, well, this team's, you know, really pulled it out of the bag over the winter and they're going to be fastest. And then you get to wherever they go after Melbourne and you discover they're not. Um, so, you know, pff, honestly, is it, I mean, okay, it means we can't go back to the Australian continent, but is it one of the great circuits? It's not to me at all. It's not. Um, we, need, we need a solution for 
the Australian continent. I'm not sure what that is. Um, but okay. <laughs> Bathurst is. Okay, so we're going, we've got plenty in Europe. We're going to the Middle East. Um, we'll figure out something for the Australian continent. We've got Kyle Army in Africa. Um, we've got at least one in South America, Sao Paulo. Yeah. Plenty in North America. Um, Where haven't we been? We've been everywhere, haven't we? So we've got Japan, but do we need others on the Asian continent? Where would we go? I don't know. Where I don't know. Well, okay, let me let me let me pitch another idea to you. I'm I'm wondering about double headers in a particular country. So back to back weekends, we go to Silverstone, then Brands Hatch. <laughs> we go okay, to okay, okay. Would you would you go to Brands Hatch on the Grand Prix circuit or Donington? I'd go Brands Hatch GP. I think you're probably right. I've got to think about that, but I think you're probably right. I, I love it. It was my yeah. second ever race weekend was at Brands Hatch GP, and it was phenomenal. But these double headers, so we'd go to Suzuka, then Fuji. Fuji! Good call. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Yeah, because you often, you often get bad weather there as well. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, the one that we haven't mentioned even once is Monaco. Yeah. We've discussed this on the podcast before, haven't we? Mm. Um, it's the only race weekend where Saturday is more interesting than Sunday. Yeah, Jeddah, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jeddah. Yeah, possibly. Um, Monaco is, I mean, it's unique. Um, and I think there's an appeal there. Um, I think watching particularly because the cars these days are so big and so heavy. Um, I think that accentuates the skills required to drive one fast around there and to watch a Lewis or a Mac or a Charles do a qualifying lap at Monaco is, is a spectacle you just don't, you won't see anywhere else. I think there's a case for it. Whether it, there's a case for it sufficiently strong to, to warrant excluding something else. I mean, it's, it's kind of the exception to the rule, isn't it? I mean, you're not having it because you get great races there. You absolutely don't. Um, or you very very rarely get great races there um, so you're having it for other reasons so I think maybe not it's a tough call that isn't it it is a big one um, okay well do you want to give us a few um, slightly more left field perhaps circuits that we should go to well, even if okay, the Formula has never been there before well, actually, the circuits I'm thinking of Formula One have been to, but they could never ever go again. Um, and this is me just sort of—I won't spend long over this because this is me just sort of disappearing down memory lane. And you know, the circuits that I still regard as among the greatest circuits that have ever been created. Some still exist, some don't. Um, Dijon, yeah, Dijon. Go and look at Arnoux and Villeneuve knocking bells out of each other in 1979 at the French Grand Prix, and tell me that's not a great circuit. <laughs> It's got everything. Um, it's got a ridiculous straight in it. It's got elevation. It's got hairpins. And the corner, it's like a roller coaster going onto the main straight. It's a fantastic straight. And it's just that right blend um, for someone like me. And I have been lucky enough to race a bit there. Um, it's really challenging, but it doesn't actually scare the shit out of me. Because you, most of the places there is somewhere to go. And it feels really, really old school. But it's not, you know, I scare quite easily. Um, and... You know, I've been. There have been times when I've been. You know, I've been racing at the old ring where I've, I've. I've just been uncomfortable in the car. I'll be very honest about that. Uh, someone like 
somewhere like Dijon, I don't get that sense. I just love the place. Um, another place which either the scariest circuit I've ever been to is Rouen. Much mm. more scary than the Nürburgring. Um, and if you've never been and you are driving to, if you're just driving to Le Mans uh, with your mates of a June weekend or you're going to the Classic or whatever, um, it's inches away from the dual carriageway you'll be driving down anyway, just outside the little hamlet of Les Essars. Um, what you will need is a local map because you'll need to know where the local circuit where, where the circuit actually runs because there's no infrastructure of any kind left at all it's just public roads you wouldn't know you could quite easily be on it and not know you're on it quite easily yeah, yeah. Um, but if you find where the pits are and you go down the hill after the pits the corners going down the hill after the pits at Rouen are the, are the most frightening things I have ever known anything race on um it is, you will simply not believe that people thought it was a good idea, not just to race on them, but to race Formula One cars on them. And to do so, I think the last F1 race there was in 1968, which was in the rain, and Jackie X won it. Um, and poor Joe Schlesser, who'd never raced a Formula One car, lost his life on the opening lap, um, binned his Honda, um, fire, terrible, awful business. Um, but to go back and have a look at it, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, the old Osterreich ring, you know, where the Red Bull ring is today. Um, I, was, I was looking up on lists of people's sort of favourite circuits. You put sort of, I don't know, 20 best F1 tracks into Google. I'm surprised by how high up that list the Red Bull ring gets. And I think you can get quite decent racing there. But the old Osterreich ring, you know, talk to guys like, I don't know, Richard Atwood, um, who used to race there. Um, and there is some on board. I think there's some on board of, is it Prost or someone going around there in a Formula 1 Renault in the early 80s or something? That's an, uh, that's an epic circuit. Such grandeur, such scale, such crazily fast corners, um, and so little infrastructure around the place. Uh, it's really, really old school. So, yeah, that's another. Um, yeah, I could, you know, sort of wobble on relentlessly, but I think, I think I'm in danger of, you know disappearing on my own fundament well i mean i'm not necessarily sure we've defined our exact calendar have we but we've spoken about the tracks that we'd like to see on there the ones that we'd get rid of um so i think if someone sorted through that they could come up with a with 22 races um but there we go a little bit of fantasy let's just hope that we're wrong about spa that actually it is going to be announced um, over the coming days or weeks that it's on the calendar for 23. It would be, be such, such a, a good PR move for Formula One. Everybody would instantly, yeah. because we're all so cynical about, you know, because we all know it's a business, not a sport, and we all know that it's all... The, 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 the fans really don't get any kind of say in any of it, and it's all, you know, men closeted away in um, in rooms behind smoked glass doors, um and you know money 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 and it would just be so nice if they just turned around and they go okay we know these guys can't pay as much as you know some new circuit with you know money coming out of its ears but you know what it's just important Mm. it's just important formula one and you know what it's right it is the right thing to do that spa should remain on that calendar and if it costs us a few million to keep it there relative to the amount of money we could earn elsewhere that is an investment in the heritage um of Formula One, which we consider worthwhile. Maybe it's Let's already. Hope so. maybe, maybe people listening to this are shouting at the 
and their podcast. Well, hang on, it's already happened. They had that announcement at the weekend. Um, I hope they do. Hmm. I don't think they will, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe Stefano Domenicali read your piece on the intercooler and thought he's absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's sign this contract this weekend. Um, okay, well, we'll know soon enough, I guess. Um, we'll do a listener question in a moment, which again you have not heard in advance. Um, before we do that, let me just say thank you to everybody who has been reviewing and rating the podcast. I can see you all doing it. So thank you so much. It really helps. But keep doing it. If you haven't done it already, please do rate and review the podcast. Also, head to the-intercooler.com. Um, you can start your one-month free trial. If you want to read Andrew's brilliant story about the GT3 versus the GT4 RS, you can start your one-month free trial um, and read that piece for nothing. So that's got to be worth doing, isn't it? Okay, so... To finish this episode, the listener question comes from Sam Cooper, who says, Have you ever been darkly tempted by a previously written-off car? Often a car, um, such as a Cat D write-off, it's often Cat N or Cat S now, isn't it? Can be an attractive way of getting a nice car for much less money, or are they always a poison chalice? Oh, I think they're always a poison chalice, because sooner or later you're going to have to sell it. Um, yeah. And you know it'll it'll still be a cat D or a cat S or a cat N. But no, you're, I have been absolutely um, because I know um, how easy it is, how small an accident a car needs to have um, to get whatever mm. that lowest level of uh, technical write-off is, and and you know that there's actually nothing wrong with the car. And usually it happens with cars of not great value because when they say the car's written off, what they don't mean is the car is. Um, not safe to be repaired what they just Mm. mean is the repair is worth more than the car's market value Um, so if it has for whatever reason been repaired uh, and the car is absolutely good as gold um, then you know I I don't have a problem with that so it's absolutely because you know you do get huge disparities between cars with 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 that rating against them and a car that hasn't had an accident but also but at the same time I would still be very very careful and i'd want to know the exact details of what had happened i want to see yeah. the uh the invoices and the bills and the report and everything else um but if i was satisfied that the car suffered non-structural cosmetic damage um and it meant that i could get a great car for an amount of money that i could afford i'm probably stupid enough to do it because i would just <laughs> i would just you know um put the thought of having to sell it to somebody else um you know on the you know on the to-do later pile um, yeah yeah that doesn't mean to say that you should but yeah i'd certainly think about it i think it can make sense for a certain kind of person you know if i was a very skilled mechanic with a workshop and had the capability and i knew exactly what i was looking at and i if i could make that judgment myself yes that's purely cosmetic i can fix that and it will be as good as new why not? I sadly oh, so, do not so have you're, that So you're talking about buying an unrepaired car. I said I wouldn't do that because I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't either. But I can see why how buying um, a written-off car, if you have that capability, can make a whole world of sense. But yeah. that's just not me. But only written off in the most technical rather than literal sense. If a yeah. car has had any kind of big hit, just don't go anywhere near it. Mm, yeah because you just don't know good okay well there you go there's an answer to your question um please get your questions across and we'll end next week's podcast with another bye
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 